Welcome to Humans of Magic, the show that goes deep into the lives of our favorite magic players. I'm your host, James Sue. Each episode, I sit down with a guest and try to get into who they are, what they do, and how they think about the world. This is not your typical magic podcast, and I am not going to be discussing hours upon hours of strategy or a deck of the week. It is a glimpse into the minds of people that just happen to enjoy magic. If you made it this far, thank you for listening. I would really appreciate it if you could leave a review for Humans of Magic on iTunes or SoundCloud. I would also appreciate it if you could spread the word. Tell a friend. Share an episode. A little bit of help goes a long way and keeps the show going. In this episode, I sit down and talk to Will Jonathan of Channel Fireball fame. Will is a sports psychologist and mental performance coach. It just so happens that he loves Magic the Gathering and gives me plenty of pointers on how to improve my mental game. You might have come across Will's writing on Channel Fireball, and he gives me the straight goods right here. I can tell you how valuable his tips are. Right after we talked, I top forward a big Magic tournament during the same week. How's that for some practical advice? So how good is Will, really? You can be the judge. Let's get right into it. Okay, guys, today on Humans of Magic, we have a very special guest. Will Jonathan is in the house. Will, how are you doing? Hey, James. I'm, I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for uh, be, agreeing to be on the show. No, I, my pleasure, and I, I, I appreciate you inviting me on. I'm really grateful for it, and I'm excited and happy to be here. No, I really appreciate you doing this uh, bright and early on a, a Wednesday morning, right? Hopefully you had your tea or coffee, whatever you're... Your drink of choices? <laughs> yeah, I, not to try to make you feel guilt or anything, but I it was actually it's had nothing to do with you, anyways. But I was actually, I've actually been up most of the night because I'm been working on something, you know, and it's it's it kind of kept me up. So I managed to get a couple hours of sleep, but it should be just enough to to power me through it. <laughs> so nice. So what what have you been working on? Well, I right now I'm in the middle of writing a book. I can't. I don't want to reveal too much, but it is for magic. You know, it's 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 about my kind of vision. I guess if you want to use that kind of word for it, is it's kind of like the. Or my hope is that it's basically going to be like the textbook for like sports psychology when it comes to competitive magic. You know, and you know, magic has some kind of defining books like, you know, Patrick Chapin's Next Level books and things like that. You know, and that's kind of my aim for this. I want this, you know, this book to be basically, um, like I said, like the textbook for sports psychology for competitive magic players. And it deals with, um, you know, basically how the mind affects performance. And it's, it, But it's specifically for magic and for magic players. So uh, it's, I'm really excited about it. And it's, 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 taken me a while and I, I you know this because you've written a book at least i don't know how it was for you but at least for me 
writing a book has been by far one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Like it's 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 really difficult. It's really really difficult. So it's kind of like a long process, and it's kind of slowly coming along. But it's been really enjoyable to do, and I'm I'm really really excited about you know how it will turn out. I I don't know how it will be received. I guess we'll just have to see. But um, regardless of how it's received, it's something I I think I'll be proud of, and I'm it's 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 been enjoyable to do. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I mean, writing a book is definitely no joke.、Uh, you must be a really strong believer in the message to to go this far, right? To to have these kind of、uh, all nighters、uh, and and things like that. Yeah, either that or I'm an insomniac. I don't know. Maybe a combination, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's、uh, it happens sometimes. I'm sure you've done something similar. You know, you, you just start writing, and、uh, it's like. You're either not aware of the time, and the next thing you know, it's like the morning, the next day, and you're like, "Holy cow! Like, what just happened?" Or you're aware of the time, but you have so much momentum going. I mean, as you probably know, sometimes it can be hard to get the momentum going and hard to get the words together. And once you get that going, you kind of don't want to stop, you know, because it's like there, like the you know the faucet's turned on, and you don't want to shut it off. And so that's kind of how it was last night. Because I mean, I'll admit, recently, I had I've been having some kind of trouble, you know, getting things going and writing, especially、uh, on the chapter that I'm on. And just last night, it just kind of was coming out, you know. And I didn't want to I didn't want to stop the momentum, so I said, you know what, I'm just gonna go and I'll get a couple hours sleep, and then I'll I'll, I'll get up and I'll do、uh, the thing with James, and I'll be good. So. Nice, yeah. Once you're in the zone, man, you don't want to you don't want to stop. You want to keep that keep that creativity, keep that momentum going, right? Yes, exactly. That's yeah, exactly. And that's basically what ha- had happened. So okay, so hopefully it's not every day that you're, you're in the zone. <laughs> no, 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 and- <laughs> I couldn't do that. Okay. <laughs> so Will, you're uh, you might be the most interesting person that I've had on the show, and I I I, I take my words very seriously. I'm not just saying that. Because you are not only a magic player, as you mentioned, but you are also a sports psychologist and a mental performance coach. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't put any pressure on me, man. <laughs> Most interesting. Don't, don't give me that time. <laughs> <laughs> just, just for our listeners who may not know exactly what all those non those terms other than magic player mean, can you kind of briefly go through maybe one by one, like sports psychologist? What exactly does a sports psychologist do? Sure.、Uh, so, what I do is I work with professional athletes and、uh, sports organizations. I mean, I work with,、um, you know, my clients are on the PGA Tour for golf,、uh, Major League Baseball,、um, the UFC. I've worked with a couple of Olympians, and I, you know, I've given. I also work with,、um, you know, an NCAA Division One swimming and diving team here. I'm pretty fortunate in, in my area. We have Florida Gulf Coast University, which is、uh, you know almost all the sports teams are NCAA Division One, and I work with the swimming and the diving team. They're nationally ranked program. I think they're ranked like 25th in the nation. And、um, basically, what my job my job is is to when I work with athletes, it's to help them understand how the mind affects. Performance and how it determines performance and how it ultimately determines the results that they get, and basically it's like 
it's like coaching except for the mental side of it and just giving them tools and ways that they can use their mind, their thought patterns, their emotions in order to get the most out of themselves um, and like perform better and just be more successful and be happier people. That's really what it comes down to at the end of the day. So is every, is every client different? Like in terms of uh, each individual athlete, what they're what motivates them, and what or or can you generalize certain things that uh, you know without getting too domain specific? I mean, are is it is it different for every person, or is it is it is this are there general frameworks for for success in this area? You, you kind of said it there. It's it's both. Like there's there's everybody's definitely different. No question about that. You, you know, and that's one of the things I love about it is every day you, when you work with somebody new or you, you always encounter something different. There's a lot of variety to it. Everyone's issues are different. Everyone's needs can be different. And, uh, you know, everybody's unique in their own way. And it's, I've been doing this for almost 10 years and it's, it still feels fresh and new, which is always great. So, you know, each human being that you work with is always different and challenging. But as you mentioned, and you're 100% right, the principles are always the same, though. You know, you, you can have, you know, two different people who are having issues with, um, you know, say their motivation levels. And how you solve that is almost always the same, you know, even for both of them, regardless of what their specific issue may be. You know, the way you deal with motivation and how you build it and how you create it and sustain it, it's the same no matter what this, the context is. So hopefully that makes sense. Hopefully I explain that in a way that, that, that makes sense. But that's yeah. the principles are the yeah. same. You know, confidence building, you know, how you build confidence and how you get people to sustain that. The principles are always the same no matter who you work with. So, Is there actually an end when it comes to athletes and uh – and their their mental approach to performance like is there a certain level where they're like okay i think we're good here or is it is it really depend on the, the person as well there can be definitely there can be um it's a lot of times what happens with people that i work with is they usually keep me on just it's because it's almost like exercise you know when, when you when you get fit and you get into shape you don't really just stop, do you? You keep going so you can keep sustaining it and maintaining it. You know, this kind of thing is very similar. You know, I, I have, you know, my oldest client, I've had him for eight years. You know, and it's, does he, has he needed me for eight years? Probably not. <laughs> but <laughs> it's good to, you know, but it's, it, it's good to have me there to, we just constantly remind him about these things. And, uh, a lot of times as well, when I work with people, I'm there on location as well. It's not just about, you know, individual sessions where we just talk. A lot of times I go, I'm actually there on location during performance days. And we talk about things before they go out. We talk about things afterwards. And, you know, it's it's things like that, too. So, um, you know, having a mental coach or a sports psychologist, it's it's something that they, if they do it, the right way and they're committed and they do it eventually they'll reach a point where technically they don't really need me anymore but i almost always stay on because like i said it's good to have it have someone like me there as a refresher and to just remind them of the principles we always talk about and things like that now, it does, now that doesn't always happen um there's people like i said i have somebody i've worked with for eight years i have there's people i've worked with and done one session, you never hear from them again. <laughs> you know, it's just the way that it is. But 
Um, like you said, though, it just depends on the person and what they want and what they're looking for. Some people just want to f- get their fix and get their needs taken care of, and then that's it. That's it. And some people like to keep you around because they think you're a great resource, or maybe you develop a relationship, a friendship with them, and that connection's there, and it's something that you carry on for a long time. It just depends on the person and the situation, you know? Is it difficult to get a lot of these athletes to open up initially? I mean, I imagine that a lot of them may not ever have done this, or I'm thinking of in a non-sports case, even if I'm a magic player, or doing something competitively, and now I'm talking to this guy or, or you know, about... You know, what's blocking my performance? Why am I not making my free throw? Like, you know, I'm thinking of DeAndre Jordan <laughs> in the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, what's what's blocking me, coach, right? Like, uh, you know, this, this is not something that people kind of grow up being used to. I mean, they're athletes or, they're, or magic players. They're very, they've been very successful at that point in their lives. Like, is it, is it hard to get them to open up, is the question? Usually not. And the reason why is because most of the time, it's them who have come to you. So if they're coming to you, it's because they want, they need something. They want something that they feel you can give them. And so they're willing to open up for you. The issue is not really, is it to get them to open up? It's getting them to come and see you when they need to in the first place. You know what I mean? The difference between those two. Like a lot of times, especially when you're dealing with athletes, there can, there can be a lot of pride or ego. And they feel like the thing that I've always encountered is, um, Athletes feel like there has to be something wrong with them first before they can come and see someone like me, like a mental coach or whatever. You know, I always tell them, it's like, look, it's, it's not about having an issue or having a problem. Just we can sit down and we can have a discussion and you can learn things about the mind and how it affects your ability to perform and, you know, how you mentally approach sports and how you mentally approach results and things like that. You can just learn how to be a better athlete. You know, you don't even have to have a, an issue at all. You can just learn how to be, a, you can become a better athlete and learn things just by speaking to, you know, to like a mental coach or a sports psychologist. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, it does. Because this is your your full-time profession and you've been doing it for 10 years, as you said, I'm really curious as to how you got into the profession in the first place. Can you kind of run me run me through how that, how that started to happen for you? Yeah, sure. I mean, so... Um, I mean, I got out of school and I had a, a friend of mine uh, that was turning, uh, he was he was playing golf in college and he was turning professional in golf and um, or he was going to attempt to. I mean, he didn't have any sponsorships or anything and he was he was just going to start um, on the developmental tours and work his way up because, I mean, golf is similar to any other sport. You know, you have at the top, you have like the PGA Tour. At least here in the States, at the top you have the PJ Tour, then you have the Web.com Tour, which is kind of like the minor leagues. And then below that, you have the developmental tours. You know, and those are quite a grind. You know, it's not glorious by any means. You know, it's, it's they call it developmental tours for a reason. You know, the money's not that great. And, you know, a lot of times you, if you have a sponsor at that level, you're fortunate. But a lot of times it's just guys who have jobs and they drive around and they, play when they can and they're trying to work their way up and uh at the time he was you know he didn't have any sponsors or anything like that and he was just but he was going to try to turn professional and he had asked me if i wanted to work with him and i said yeah of course absolutely you know it's because at the time i was coming out and didn't have any clients i didn't have any reputation i didn't have any credibility i certainly didn't have any money (laughs) because i just finished school (laughs) so 
so I said, you know, I'm just, yeah, I'm just going to go for it. And, you know, I decided I'm not going to have a job because I just want to, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go all in with it. So, you know, we traveled around Florida a lot, you know, and we used to, you know, sleep in the parking lot at golf courses because we couldn't afford the hotels and, you know, all the money that he would make, you know, we would just kind of split it and he would, um, you know, just give me what he could or whatever. And we made it work and eventually he worked his way up and, you know, he's, he plays mostly on the web.com tour, but he plays on the PJ tour every now and then. And he's, and he's not a full time pro. It's not something he, he, you know, really wanted to do mm-hmm. at that level necessarily, but he's happy where he is. And but that's, that's the guy I was talking about. I've worked with for seven, eight years, mm-hmm. um, known him for a long time, but that was kind of how I first started and just going out into the field and just doing it and, and just being there, you know, it was, it was mostly referrals. You know, people would ask me who I was and are you, are you, are you Mike's caddy? It's like, no, 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 I'm not a caddy. <laughs> you know, and I just would talk to people about what I did and I would give people, you know, free advice when I was at these tournaments and just, you know, and it just, my name kind of just got around and, so it's just, you know, the old referral thing. And I just started doing it. And I've never really done any advertising or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And just over time, you know, the more people you work with, people start talking about you. And hopefully, you know, you do a good job and word spreads. And um, I was also lucky, too. I was definitely lucky and fortunate. Uh, a good friend of mine, her name is Christy. Uh, her husband is um, Liam Hendricks, who pitches for the Oakland A's. And she knew what I did, and so I was able to get hooked up with him. Mm-hmm. You know, so I was very lucky in that regard, and things like that. So it was a combination of a lot of, you know, hard work and sacrifice, and a lot of luck too. Like anything else in life, it requires both of those. Mm-hmm. You know, you you same thing FGCU. You know, this year I worked for the first time. You know, I mean, I've given talks and presentations at colleges and universities and things like that, but I've never actually worked, you know, all season long with a team. Because, you know, college, the college system, can, that can be hard to break into sometimes. And, um, you know, I was fortunate. I, I played soccer every week down here at uh, FGCU. And one of the guys who played with us was the swim coach. And I just got to know him playing every Wednesday. And eventually I was just like, hey, by the way, this is what I do. What do you think? You want to try it? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. And, and so, uh, you know, that opened the door for me there. So, it, you know, it's a combination of hard work, sacrifice, and, and you just meeting the right people and and things like that. But it was just kind of a slow climb up the ladder. Mm. And the more people I met, the more people I worked with, the higher the level I moved up. And, you know, the, more, the higher the level the athlete became and and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that was that's kind of kind of how I got started and how I ended up where I am. Oh, that's that's awesome, man. That's a combination of uh, working hard, uh, being being in a position to get lucky, as they say. That's that's pretty neat. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, you know, I think the luck thing. You know, people don't really like to talk about that that much when it comes to their story because it doesn't sound kind of sexy or badass, you know. Yeah. But it is. You you do. You have to be fortunate. You have to get the breaks. You know. You have to meet the right people, and people have to, for whatever reason believe in what you can do they just believe in your cause and they they help you move to the next level you know and i've i've certainly had that 
you know, and it's it's like I said, don't get me wrong. It's I, I put in the time yep. definitely, yep. <laughs> but it's definitely a lot of uh, door opening that people had to do and that helped me get there. Oh yeah, for sure. You, you, you definitely have the knowledge in this area because uh, I first found out about you when I read your uh, Channel Fireball articles for the first time. And it was the very, very interesting, I would say very one-of-a-kind intersection of the psychology, uh, the mental approach to the game, which I, which I understand now to be how you approach uh, working with athletes, but combined with the sort of world of Magic the Gathering. And I think there are a lot of articles out there where pros talk about how they play and how they prepare, but it's not as easily... You're putting it in a different framework that when I first read some of your initial articles on CFB, I was like, wow, okay, this guy knows something or he has some insight into this field that others don't know, that others are not writing about. And so my question is actually, how did you get into that? I mean, at some point you were a Magic player and I'm assuming you still are, but how did you kind of take that approach and mindset and knowledge that you had from the athletic sports world, competitive world, and kind of married that with magic. And how did you end up writing for, for Channel Fireball? It's kind of like two questions in one, but I'm, I'm super curious. Do you want me to go back and talk about like how I got into magic? Do you want me to go that far back, or what do you want me to It's It's up to you, my friend. I, I'm good with everything. I can start with that. That's fine. So, I mean, yeah, to be clear, you know, yeah, I do sports psychology and mental coaching, and I work with athletes and things like that, but... Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I play Magic, and I have for quite a long time. You know, I, I started in about around the year 2000. Um, Invasion had just come out. And, um, you know, I, I'll never forget it. The first the first game of Magic I ever played, uh, you know, my good friend. I mean, I, I live in Florida now, Fort Myers, Florida, but I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. And... My best friend, I still know him. We're still good friends to this day, over 20 years. Uh, his name is Andrew Baxter. He, um, you know, he he got me into the game, and we went down to uh, a card shop one day uh, down in Cincinnati. And the first thing I ever bought was a a, a starters deck because uh, now back then they had starter decks. I don't think they have those anymore, do they? I don't think they sell those yeah, anymore. They only yeah. have the intro packs and all that. All that really yeah, jazz but, stuff. Uh, yeah, it was an Urza's Legacy starter deck, and I opened it up, and I, I still have the card to this day. I actually have it a top loader. It was a foil bone shredder, right? The three mana, <laughs> one, one, target non-black, non-artifact creature, yeah. And then it was just, you know, always into video games, always into gaming and things like that as a kid, and, you know. You must have been very competitive, I assume? Yes. Oh, yeah, I did sports, too. You know, I played soccer my whole life. Um, you know, I moved to, I played division one soccer for university of Cincinnati and all that stuff. So I was always a competitive person as well. Uh, and you know, it was like the best of both worlds. You know, I love gaming and I love stuff like that. And there was also a competition aspect to it. Right. So it was similar to you. I know you played basketball and into, you know, gaming and things like that. Well, so it's like the perfect marriage of two passions, you know? And so, you know, played this game Magic, and I loved it. It was great, and, you know, that's how you know, the plunge starts. And uh, at the time, Invasion had just kind of come out, and then, you know, over the next couple of months, you had, you had Plane Shift and Apocalypse, and it was just, like, the best time to get into Magic. And to this day, you know, the Invasion block is my favorite block of all time. You know, maybe that's bias or whatever, because that was my first one, but it's just, you know, 
always loved that set. And that that's kind of how I got into Magic there. And so I played for a number of years. And um, back then they had a lot of, you know, they did states, you know, which I don't think really happens too much anymore. But, you know, I did state championships and I played in a couple GPs back then. But I was a kid. I didn't do too well. But uh, um, and I couldn't really commit to the game because I played soccer. So it was hard. But, I you know, I played semi-competitively. And um, so then I went to school, you know, in college and things like that. And I really had to focus on that because of schooling and I was playing soccer in college. I couldn't really play. So I kind of took a break and I came back into the game like around 2005, 2006. And at the time it was like the Kamigawa block was standard, was in standard and it was mirrored in and things like that. And I came back in and I played for maybe two or three months and I didn't really like it. And I don't think most people did, right? I mean, this was like the affinity era and things were really screwed up and it was just kind of stale and boring. I didn't really enjoy it. So I stopped playing again uh, and I didn't play again for another eight years. Um, But like anybody else, you know, what do we always do? Like even when we're not playing, we keep tabs on it, right? Like we read about it things like that. I did the same thing. Um, and around 2013, uh, I just, you know, gate crash had just came out and I was looking at the cards that were out and it was like return to Ravnica. It was gate crash. And it was like these really powerful, like multicolored cards. And it reminded me of the invasion block that I played when I first started playing. And I was like, okay, this, Oh, like, this is really this looks really cool. And Innistrad was um, legal too in standard. So, so going back a little bit, when I first started playing Magic, you know, you had Mercadian Mass Block, which was standard legal, and it was Invasion Block, and it was literally the exact same parallels in 2013 when I got back in. You had Return to Ravnica and Gatecrash, which are like this multicolored centric set, and then before that, you had like Innistrad, which you know, which was like a very themed set, you know, uh, Mercani mass was based around rebels and mercenaries and things like that. And a lot of monocolored stuff. And that's how Innistrad was as well. So in terms, but it was Gothic horror and stuff like that, obviously. So the parallels are very similar. And I was like, okay, this is like the perfect time to get in. This looks great. So, um, I had a lot of magic cards lying around from the time when I started playing again from like 2005 to 2006 and I was like, well, let me see if I can sell this stuff and kind of fund my way back into standard. Let's see if this stuff is worth anything. And I'm looking at the prices of these cards, and I have full play sets of Crucible of the Worlds. I have full play sets of, like, Umazawa's Jites. I have full play sets of Foil Aether Vials. Because from the time I'd stopped playing and started again in 2013, Modern had become a thing. And now all of these cards were, like, worth an insane amount of money. <laughs> And so I could I sold all this stuff and was able to fund my way back into standard and that's kind of how I got back into it and um, just kind of been playing ever since. Yeah, no, never, uh, never, never discount the power of nostalgia. I mean, Wizards is uh, Wizards of the Coast is fully aware of that, and uh, I'm glad to hear you also were able to bankroll your 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 return to Ravnica or return to Magic, as it were. Yeah, well, I mean, at the time, you know, I was now an adult, at least moderately, <laughs> and <laughs> said, "Well, you know, I know, I know how much of a trap magic can be, so I'm not going to just go in and spend a bunch of money on it." And like I said, if I can bankroll it with this, you know, I'll go ahead and do that, and I was able to do it, you know, easily. How'd you go from getting back into magic to actually, you know, writing about magic and doing it for one of the major magic sites on the internet? 
you know, naturally over time, you know, I started thinking and I was, you know, I started playing magic competitively again and I was, it just, I started thinking, I was like, well, you know, it's, I do sports psychology. I do mental coaching with athletes and competitive magic players. It's the same thing. Competitive magic is just like a sport. So why don't I try to apply my career work to the game of magic? Why don't I attempt that and see how that goes? So, um, but the first thing I said to myself was, surely there's got to be somebody who's talking about this already. You know, it's somebody's already got to be talking about this kind of thing. And, and so I started doing some research and I was looking around and seeing who was talking about, you know, like, sports psychology when it comes to magic and i didn't find anything you know like you mentioned you know a lot of the pro players they'll they'll sometimes write articles that touch on these kind of topics and things like that but nobody there was no quote-unquote expert who was writing about this you know who does this for a living who works in this field and was applying it to magic it just nobody was talking about it and I went, I tried to go back as far as I could to see if anybody had really ever talked about it. It's never really happened before. So I was like, okay. I said, well, look, this is this is for me here. This can be my niche in the game, you know, in my way of kind of uh, stamping my identity on it. So that was kind of when I decided I would go ahead and try to apply my work to magic. And so I found the, uh, I'm a big Redditor, you know, and I found the uh, the competitive magic uh, form on on Reddit spikes. I don't know if you've been there. Have you ever been there before or no? Yeah, yeah, I've been there. It's uh, it's quite the place. Uh, well, Reddit yeah. is quite the place, <laughs> and then you add to the fact that you know the spikes subreddit is just obviously infested with spikes, right? Yeah, they're a rowdy bunch for sure. <laughs> but um, so I went there, and I uh, just one day I did a a Q and A or an AMA, whatever you want to call it, but. I just, you know, I called it... Uh, uh, ask the me anything, right? That's what they call it? Yeah, exactly. And I just... The title of it was The Mental Game of Magic, Improving Your Play by Improving Your Mind. And I just said, you know, here's who I am. Here's what I do. Uh, if you have any questions about the mental side of the game and how you can become a better magic player by understanding how the mind affects performance and things like that and how you can deal with these specific issues, then just ask me a question and I'll answer it. And it got a really big response. Like, I got tons of questions. Because, like I said, nobody's ever really done something like this before. And you had a lot of players out there who had these issues and these questions, but they never had anybody to ask. The demand is definitely there, right? You found out real quick. Yes. Yeah. So I got tons of questions, and it was really, really well received. And um, so I started doing those once a month. The first of every month, I would just do a Q&A, and they were really well, well received and uh, do those. And so then I got the idea. I was like, okay, so there's obviously a need for this. Like every month I do it, I get tons of questions, and people love it. I said, I'm going to go ahead and create a website specifically for this, you know, specifically for the mental side of the game for competitive magic players. And I called it mentalmana.com. And I just started posting articles there. And um, it never really took off because I never did any advertising with it. And I never really tried to push it that much. Um, and it was hard to do. It became difficult to sustain because of my work and my career and things like that. Um, and so, but one day I just, again, we talked earlier about, you know, you just get lucky and you kind of 
doors get opened and you move from one level to the next. Um, you know, Andy Cooper Faust, who's, you know, the editor at Channel Fireball, um, he just really liked my stuff, you know, and he kind of noticed that nobody else was talking about these kinds of things. And uh, he, he wanted it for Channel Fireball because it was something unique and something different. And, uh, you know, they, they brought me on board to start writing. And so I did that first article on how to build confidence uh, the right way, or at least what I think is the right way to do it. And um, it was really well received and, you know, it was pretty popular. And then the one that just kind of blew the hinges off the door was the article I wrote. It was called The Best Way to Win, basically just talking about, you know, the less you think about winning or the less you care about winning, the easier it is to win, you know, which is like the total opposite of what you normally hear. But, you know, I wrote that article and it was just that's just that's the one that just like I said, it just kind of blew the hinges off the door. It got like. 350 likes on it tons of comments and you know lsv ended up tweeting about it saying how much he liked it and things like that which was hilarious because i was at work one day and i didn't have my phone on me and it was like the day that andy had published it on the site and by the evening time i checked my phone i had like a billion twitter notifications and i was like <laughs> what the hell has this happened and i opened up my twitter and i saw that lsv had, had talked about it and i had got tons of you know uh, just followers and things like that. And yeah. it was like, again, the, that's how the door got opened. And, and so to have someone like him kind of endorse the work was kind of like the, okay, yeah, like this, this belongs in the magic community. Now like you can see that there's a, that people respond to this and they like it. And so, um, we just went from there and just kind of been doing it ever since. So that's kind of the story from, from the beginning to now. So, that's that's great, man. I mean, that's uh, that's how I first heard about you was when your phone blew up and uh, LSV tweeted what you had, and I became a follower and I read it, read your article, like reread your article like five times. I was thinking, this is what a lot of players need to know, and I, I think for some of us it's a refresher. Some of us it's we know maybe a part of it, but I had not seen someone really formalize everything in such a readable one article format that you could always go back to, and it just seems like. Uh, for me, at least, it also seemed like the right article at the right time. Right. Uh, you know, I think for I, I suspect for many players as well. So I was super happy to see that. I'm super happy for you. It's great. Then you started kind of doing more regular articles for Channel Fireball, and you right. you, you really have a you, you really start to have a platform for your voice and to get Magic players to want to read what you what you have to say. And what's been your learning from that? I mean, how's it been sort of writing for a, a mass magic website and i also see that you're very good at responding back to comments you're you spend a lot of time like just having discussions and dialogue with readers which is really cool uh, i think it's really it's really great how's that whole experience been for you and what have you really learned from from the months and and, and years of doing that it's been dude it's been awesome you know it's been really cool i mean i'm i'm very fortunate to write you know for one of the the biggest Plat, you know, biggest platforms in Magic. The best thing about it is the fact that you get to help so many people, like especially people that I may not even get to talk to. You know, there's lots of people who will read the articles who don't leave comments and stuff like that, and and hopefully it helps them, and I'm sure it does. And I'm sure there's people who read it and go, oh, this crap is stupid too. It's you know, you always gonna get both, right? But like, um, it's just being able to to 
take what you know your print your work and your philosophy and to put it out there and to have it spread to so many people and to kind of be able to help people in that way is is really cool you know i mean it, it's a thing of passion for me you know it's not uh it's not about money and things like that it's it's just magic is something that's always given me a lot you know it's it's brought me a lot of happiness it's brought me a lot of torment too <laughs> you know it, oh, yeah. it, magic magic is always like a love hate thing right most card games are you know there's the highs and the lows and but it's 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 such a passionate game and we're all passionate about it and we all have a love for it and it's 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 given me a lot it's give it's made me friends it's given me a competitive outlet especially not being an athlete anymore it gives me a competitive outlet to kind of satiate that um you know so it's given me a lot and and it's my way of of it sounds kind of corny and cheesy right but it's like my way of giving back to the game and it's it's my way of like i said leaving my mark my own unique mark on the game and things like that and um in terms of what i've learned from it um it's it's been really interesting learning and figuring out how to apply something like sports psychology like to specifically to magic because you're talking about a game or a sport that's not physical. You know, it's purely mental. There really is no physical aspect to it, you know, and and, and trying to come up with a way, you know, of, of trying to help magic players, you know, for example, take something like motivation. Okay, well, how do I apply the principles of motivation to magic players? You know, how do I do that? And figuring out how to ex- how to do that, how to explain that in a way that makes sense and, and is coherent and, and works you know, figuring out how to take the principles of sports psychology and applying it to the game of magic, figuring that out has been the most challenging thing. It's been really fun, right? you know, and right. that's what I've learned the most. And you, that's what happens anytime you do. It was the same thing with swimming this year. This was the first year I worked with uh, swimming when I worked with the FGCU swim team. Never worked with swimmers before in my life. And the challenge was, okay, how do I apply these principles to swimmers? Mm-hmm. You know, and how do I translate these things over to the sport of swimming? And very same exact thing for magic. So, you know, and magic so, players are different than athletes too. You know, a lot of magic players tend to be very uh, cynical <laughs> and skeptical. <laughs> you know, it, it can no, be hard never. to never, right? That's not true. Come on, no, but they they do tend to be right, more cynical and more kind of skeptical. And you know, even Andy was like, you know, well, honestly, you know, this kind of stuff I'm normally very skeptical of, but even, you know, you've won me over with it, you know, and it's like that, like, that's also been fun to try and do, you know, to win people over and to try and convince people like, hey, like, look, this is important for you. Like, you should pay attention to this. Like, this will help you, you know, and and things like that. So, um yeah, it's it's I've enjoyed it a lot. And in, in terms of like the comments and replying to people, you know, for me that's really simple. It's you know, you write an article and you don't know how it's going to be received and when when people not only take the time to read it, but they take the time to respond and leave something, I believe that deserves a response. Like it's my obligation to respond to them. Even if it's something as simple as saying, thank you, you know, that I'm obligated to do that because, you know, there's so many, there's a lot of magic sites. There's a lot of magic content. They don't have to read what I write, but they choose to, Mm -hmm. and they choose to take the time, you know, to go and leave a comment and to leave, to write something, whether it's a compliment, whether it's a question, 
whether it's a piece of criticism, you know, whatever it is. And for me, because they take the time to do that, I just believe it deserves a response. Like I said, even if it's something as simple as a thank you or if somebody leaves a question, it's because it's important to them. Mm-hmm. You know, they wouldn't take all that time to go into the comment session and ask me a question if they didn't feel it was important. So I, I want to help those people. I want to answer that question for them if I can. So, you know, that's kind of the reason why I always tried to be engaging like that. You know, you're, you're saying you're responding to the comments and uh, in your writing, you also come through as someone who's very open and honest, obviously. It also strikes me that you appear to have, not appear, you do have a lot of gratitude towards life and towards the readers and towards a lot of things. Just it's coming through in our talk right now. And you also mentioned the fact that, you know, a lot of magic players, and I was being sarcastic, yes, a lot of magic players are very (laughs) cynical. They're very, they're very, uh, you know, sky's falling on me. I'm always getting bad beats, all that kind of stuff. So how did you develop personally for yourself the gratitude that allows you to kind of help others and possibly be an inspiration for other people? Like, where, where did that come from? Man, that's a great question. That's a tough one, too. <laughs> uh, you know, James, honestly, I, I don't know. You know, I, have I always been this way? No, definitely not. I think it's something that maybe comes with maturity and time. Maybe the older you get, the more you experience you, I mean, because as a kid, you're kind of ungrateful, right? Because, <laughs> you know, there's no sure, like, are, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's no understanding of like, you know, you, like, for example, when I was a kid and I want my parents to buy me a $5 pack of magic cards, you don't really understand that, you know, okay, my parents aren't rich, you know, we're, we're kind of poor middle class. They work. They have to pay bills. They have to pay mortgage. They have to do all of this stuff. They don't have money for a pack of magic cards. Will okay? So don't ask them for that and be grateful for what they give you. You know, you don't really understand those things. But as you get older and you go through life and you go through experiences and specifically when you struggle and you, you know, because I talked about before how like you know when I first started my career, you know, I just went at it and I didn't have any clients, didn't have any reputation, didn't have any credibility, didn't have anybody. And you know, you kind of work from the bottom and you work your way up and I spent a lot of time starving without a lot to eat and a lot of times on the road and just grinding it out. And when you struggle in that way, you kind of naturally develop a sense of gratitude, you know, it makes you grateful for the crappy car that you have. <laughs> You know, and you and just having a roof over your head and just having something to eat, you know, you you kind of develop a sense of gratitude through that. I think struggle would is the best way to answer that. You know, when you struggle and you come out the other side of it, you definitely develop a sense of gratitude. It comes later, but you understand it and you realize it through that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm like anybody else. You know, my life is is fine and it's great, but I've been through a lot, too. And it's. Uh, I just think maybe maybe I've intentionally tuned into trying to be more grateful, you know, and trying to practice that. Um, some people just kind of do it naturally or they develop that without realizing it. You know, it definitely took me consciously going, you know what, I like I need to practice gratitude. Like that's something I take for granted. Maybe I need to start appreciating things more in my life and doing that. And, um, I think it was that it was definitely, it, 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 it was an intentional thing that I had to do to practice. 
it's you know like it's like it is a skill you know gratitude is a skill and it's something I had to work at for sure. I, I mean, I don't want to come off like I was some greedy bastard when I was a kid. I was. <laughs> I mean, I probably was at times, right? But uh, I think I was a good kid overall. And I, you'd have to ask my parents, maybe. But, um, but it, it definitely was something I had to try to develop and consciously go. You know what? I need to practice gratitude, and it's something I tried to do. I think it, it is very important for overall happiness and things like that. You know, studies have definitely shown when you practice gratitude, you know, it, it actually activates the areas of the brain that are responsible for positive emotions. It's not, you know, it's not just, it's not just feel goody type stuff. I mean, scientific studies prove this kind of stuff, this thing. Oh, for sure. I mean, I mean, gratitude can be a, a, it can be like a muscle, and b, the gratitude and self awareness package is like a killer combo, right? Because I think, I think, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm kind of a late bloomer to a lot of this kind of. Uh, learning about right. how to harness emotions and competitively and all that stuff. But I definitely see in you the fact that it's sort of like you have the gratitude, but you also have the self-awareness that, okay, you've had it, you know, you've had ups and downs like everyone else, but you you understand that you're fortunate in a, in a lot of ways to be where you are right now. And it's through struggle, it's through hard work, it's through a bunch of things. And, and I think I think that's what separates some people from others is just having that awareness and you definitely exhibit that. No, thank you, man. I, I appreciate that. No, and, and yeah, you know, it's and look, I don't, I don't get it right all the time. Definitely not. You know, <laughs> there's some days and sometimes when I find myself being, you know, ungrateful as hell. But you know, in the main, I, I try to do that. And and like I said, especially when it comes to the articles and, and you know, and even even when I do the Q and A's on Reddit, you know, I I sometimes you know sometimes I'll get. And that's what's fun about those question and answer things. Sometimes I'll get like 10 questions. Sometimes I'll get like 50. You just don't know what's going to happen each month, you know, and that, that makes it fun. But no matter who asks a question, I always reply. No matter who leaves a comment on an article, I always reply. And I just, I don't know. I, I just feel like when someone reads something I do and takes the time to do that and they reply to it, they take the time to do that, that deserves my response in some way it just i just i just feel that strongly about it, it just deserves that that's awesome man i i can't put it strongly enough i mean that is uh you're you're truly one of the good guys in in magic just just by the just by what i've seen here it's because you don't know well enough yeah <laughs> <laughs> you got the good cop back up going yeah uh, i appreciate it man yeah yeah no, no no problem so what's the most interesting piece of feedback you've ever received Interesting piece of feedback. You can you define interesting. You can define interesting any way you want. Maybe the most inspiring. Maybe the most outlandish. I, I pick your. You, you can pick and choose. But what's been the one feedback that's kind of like, maybe we just wouldn't normally get from somebody. Maybe inspirational. Maybe maybe crazy. I don't know. Just just uh, just picking your brain. I guess I can give you maybe. I'll try to give you all the extremes, right? So, like, I give—I can think of three. Okay. So, the first one would be like with LSV, right? Tweeting out the article, you know, to have to have such a prominent player, you know, one of the, you know, I don't think there's any question that LSV is probably the most popular figure in the game right now. He's also one of the best players. He's not one of the best players ever. To have somebody at that level, might be the goats. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. To have somebody at that level, you know, publicly support your work, you know, 
that was definitely interesting. That was definitely, you know, that's that's kind of the high of that, right? Oh, yeah. Um, but I've also had people be super critical about it, too. I've had that, you know, especially over on Reddit. What, did they think it was all wrong or what? I don't want to say wrong. It, I, I like to see it in terms of right or wrong. It, it, it's I, I like maybe more misguided or misunderstood. You know, a lot of times people don't understand these things and they... Everyone has inherent beliefs, part of their belief system, and they they believe what they believe. And when you say something that counters that, you're naturally going to get you know resistance, or you're going to get a reaction to it. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot sometimes over on spikes, you know, when I do my Q and As and things like that, you know, you'll get people that will ask a question, or they won't really ask a question; they'll just say, you know, oh, well, you know, I don't I don't agree with what you say here, and I think this is silly, and I think this is whatever, and, you know, I've definitely had that. You know, I had this one guy, I can't remember his, his username, but... Probably don't want to yeah, mention I mean, his username anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, if I could remember, I would call the guy out. No, I'm just Shout kidding. Shout out to, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, just kidding. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, he was just... You know, oh, this is ridiculous. This is, you know, I totally disagree with it. This isn't true. And, you know, when that happens, like, I just kind of try to explain my case and where I'm coming from. Say, listen, this is kind of how it works. And this is kind of the science behind behind it and things like that. And if you still hit a wall after that, it's like, okay, well, this is done. This isn't going to get anywhere. You know, so anytime I get criticisms or whatever, it's I never take it personally. It's fine. I just try to explain to them and try to hopefully get them to understand. If they don't understand it, then it is what it is. Nothing you can do. So, I mean, I've had something like that where you have LSV kind of support your work publicly, which is great. I've had uh, people, other people, you know, criticize it or think it's stupid. Um, And then I've actually had uh, players who have used my work. And actually gotten results with it. Nice. You know, so nice. I'll take um, I'll take uh, one guy. His name is Lance Austin. Um, he's a player that I've been working with now for several months, and um, he's you know kind of similar to you. Just started reading my stuff on Channel Fireball, and at the time he was playing on the SEG circuit, just kind of playing opens and things like that. And, and this is according to him, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, selling myself here, but according to him, you know, reading my stuff kind of helped him get to the next level, you know, and he, he top forward a, uh, a big modern event on the SCG tour. Uh, he was playing Infect and he, I think he finished third. And then um, from there, you know, he qualified for the, uh, he finished from there. He did really well there, and then we kind of started working together. And then he uh, he made, I think he made the top eight of a Grand Prix, um, and that qualified him for the Pro Tour. And he played at Pro Tour Aether Revolt, mm-hmm. and uh, didn't do so hot there, <laughs> but you know he qualified for the Pro Tour. You know, well, so he went the from major leagues, up- right? You gotta, you gotta, you gotta take your bumps, right? Right, and so, you know, he just kind of started out playing in the SCG Opens and things like that, and just, you know, through reading my work and working together with me, he went from that to, you know, top fouring in an SCG Modern tournament, uh, top eight at a Grand Prix, and then made it to the Pro Tour. And, you know, for him, he said it's been enormously helpful for him. And it was re- what was really cool about that, too, 
And this was the first time this had happened was, you know, I live in Florida and there was a Grand Prix in Orlando. And I went to the Grand Prix in Orlando and he went there as well. So I got to meet him in person, which was great. You know, you spend all this time working with somebody and it's over the Internet through Skype and, you know, Facebook Messenger and things like that. And when you finally get to go there and you meet them in person, you get to shake their hand and give them a hug and things like that. And, you know, I worked with him there at Grand Prix Orlando and stuff like that on location. You know, it was just really cool. So, you know, that's kind of like all three, right? You get the high praise, you get the low criticism, and then you get the actual person when you work with somebody and they do well and you, you know, you see the results that they get from that. So in terms of feedback, I think that's probably the best three examples that I could give you that I could come up with, you know. That's amazing. I mean, when you when your work gets uh, gets across the spectrum of players, that's that's when you get the diverse feedback, and so it, it it just really goes to show that you're really touching the 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 hearts and minds of lots of players out there. I mean, and and I mean, it's it's it, the feedback is only a fraction of the actual total readership, right? So I'm sure for every sure. person yeah. that posted, there's probably a hundred people that that read it and got something out of it. So that's that's truly truly amazing to hear, actually. But I, I do want to uh, kind of do a little bit of role playing with you. So, sure. um, for those let's who may it. not be so familiar with your work, let's say that I'm a kind of a struggling Magic player. Like you know, I, I might be winning F and M's, and uh, oh man, I, uh, I, I go to spot here. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> it, it's, it's game time. Yeah, so right. I, I'm a I'm an F and M player. I. I, uh, sure. I, 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 I'm going to SCGs, I'm going to like GPs, I'm not really getting the results that I want. I feel okay. like I, I might be tilting, I might be raging, I, I, might, I might be trying to figure out what's going to get me to the next level. You know, I, I find out that, you know, Will Jonathan is, you know, uh, someone who deals with this aspect. Uh, I come to you. I mean, what are some of the things that you may suggest to me as a kind of player who wants to get to the proverbial next level? Okay. No, that's really cool. I'm glad. That's a, I, you're very clever, James. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, that great. The first thing I always try to start with is uh, always start with what's your approach towards results. That has to be the starting point. That's the, that's where I always start. Like, how are you when it comes to winning and losing? Can you handle results, and how do you handle them? And what's your mental approach towards them? Are you, you know, are you somebody who's very results focused or are you more process focused? And you, you got to start there because until you can get a player to be able to handle results, it, they, they can't move to the next place. It's just not going to work because, I mean, you know, magic, the great, the neat thing about magic is it's not just about winning or losing a tournament. You have to, it's winning and losing individual rounds. It happens round after round after round. It's game after game too, right? Mm -hmm. A round could be three games long. You know, if you lose the first game, can you handle that? How do you cope with that? If you win the first game, how do you cope with that? You know, and same thing with the first round. If you lose the first round, how do you cope with that? If you win the first round, how do you cope with that? If you go on a winning run, how do you handle that? Does yep. it get to you? Yep. Does it have an effect on you? Same with losing, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to – the first thing I always start with is how do you approach results? Are you obsessed with winning? Are you obsessed with results? Is that the number one reason why you play the game or is it more process-oriented? And you just try to get them to think about and understand clearly how they mentally approach the game and how they deal with winning. And usually how it starts out is – you know, we talk about that, and I would just say, look, 
the next tournament you go to, whether it's an FNM, whatever it is, I want you to go to this tournament, and I don't want you to think about winning at all. The results, who cares? If, don't, don't think about the results. You know, and when I talk with them beforehand, we do a session or whatever, I always explain to them why it's important you do that so they understand why. Mm-hmm. But don't think about results, okay? Results are a byproduct of performance. It's like cause and effect. If you just if you take care of the process, the result will just happen naturally. So don't think about it. Just go there and all I want you to do is just focus on these process oriented things, you know, and it's it's in that article I wrote about Jenna Fireball. I call them the five performance priorities. Mm-hmm. If you focus on these five things and you hit each of them, more often than not, you know, because we do have to account for variance in magic, you know, you can play really well and do everything and still lose. It's just the way that it is, right? So if you focus on these things, more often than not, you're going to do really well. So just go to this next tournament. Don't think about winning and losing. Just focus on playing the best magic you possibly can. Produce the best performance you possibly can. And just try to enjoy it and just see what happens. And just start getting them in the process of thinking less about results and thinking more about performance. Mm-hmm. And that's that's always the first place I, I start, you know. Um, so let's say that you told me to do that. Let's let's continue the, <laughs> the little role playing sure, here. Yeah, you, you, told me, it, you told me, James, this is what you should do. You should go to FNM. Yeah. You should not care about uh, results. Don't care about winning the FNM. Just yeah. care about tr- taking it one game at a time, as they say in the yes. sports world, right? Uh, don't yeah. get too high. Don't get too down. I go there, uh, and I lose the first round I, to a guy that I feel like I should have, I should have won, uh, should have should have beaten. Uh, now I'm feeling right. a little bit down. Now I'm kind of in a funk, and I feel like now it's kind of spiraling yeah. into the next round and maybe the round after that. And uh, suddenly I find I'm not mulliganing as I should. I'm not. Uh, making good decisions. I feel kind of entitlement. Like, you know, I'm in the loser's bracket. Now I'm going to win the next round because I'm matched against someone who is not as good on paper. Um, right. How do, I, how do I navigate that? Well, um, and what I would say is the thing, the thing about um, mental training or mental conditioning, right, or getting better as a player mentally, it's no different than how a, a, an athlete has to get better physically, right? It takes time. It takes repetition. Right. You know, to get physically stronger, what do you have to do? You have to go to the gym and you have to do these repetitions over and over and over and over again. And over time, mm-hmm. you start to get stronger and bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't go to the gym after the first session and lift a bunch of weights and look in the mirror and go, well, why aren't you bigger yet? You don't just quit after <laughs> the first session, right? You, Right, you know that it's going to take time. Something this mental getting better mentally, getting sharper mentally, it's it's exactly the same thing. It takes time. And the first time I work with somebody and I tell them, we talk about that, you know, go, don't think about winning, don't think about results, just go and play, focus on the process, do that. They may not be able to do that the first time. And most likely they won't be able to. You're talking about years and years and years of mental conditioning, mental habits they have, and it's hard. You're not going to override that right away. So, you know, sometimes they can do it, you know, pretty well the first time. Sometimes they can't. If, in, like, in, in your case, in this context, you just happen to struggle with it the first time. It hasn't really worked for you. You didn't really, whatever. So it's a matter of just going back and reiterating it and talking about it again, you know, repetition, right? reiterating it and talking about it again right and then just allowing them to do it and i would say listen if it didn't work this time that's fine it's going to take time for you to get used to thinking and approaching the game this way it's different than what you're used to you know you're used to going into every round thinking about the result dwelling on the fact that you lost or getting hyped up about the fact that you won 
you have to learn how to, and I always tell like the athletes I work with, I always say to be a great athlete, you have to have a great reset button. Mm. And that kind of ties into what you had said. You know, for magic players, between every round, whether you win or lose, you have to be able to hit the reset button, you know, and go again. Because the fact of the matter is, whether you've won or lost, it has nothing to do with the next round. Nothing to do with that. Right, right. You know what I mean? You could be 6-0, and 8-0. and doesn't matter. The, the, the objective every round is always exactly the same. Play the best magic you possibly can. That objective is always the same, whether you're whether you're 0 and 8 or 8 and 0, it doesn't matter. Mm. You know, so you have to be able to hit the reset button. If you find yourself, no matter, like you said, you said it great there, right? Whether you're in the losers bracket, doesn't matter who you're playing against, doesn't matter what your record is, doesn't matter whether you've won or lost. You have to be able to hit the reset button, and each round is its own unique round, and you have to dedicate yourself to that round and put everything into it and play as well as you possibly can. And that should never change based on your wins, your losses, the level of your opponent, the context of the situation you're in. doesn't matter. Mm. Hit that reset button and go again. Forget about the result. It's really about that mental consistency, really, right? Yes. Yeah, and it takes time to build that. It takes time to turn that into a habit. Right. And you know, one of the other things I'm a bit I would I would also tell you, don't even look at the leaderboard. Don't look at the points. Mm-hmm. It's irrelevant. Right. I mean, if you're around, say, say, you're, you know, whatever, an FNM, for example, you know, say you're at a five round FNM, you know, and you're three and oh, you've won your first three rounds. You don't need to know how many points you have. It's irrelevant. You don't need to know how many points other people have. The only time that that's relevant is when you're able to draw into the top eight. That's the only time it's relevant, and it's not relevant at that point. And when it is relevant and you need to know how many points you have, somebody will tell you, you know, hey, you want to draw in. Somebody will tell you when you need to know. Right. Otherwise, it's irrelevant, right? Because, again, it doesn't change your objective each round. Whether you're in first place, whether you're in last place, your objective is to play the best magic you possibly can every single round. That never changes. It shouldn't change. Right. So don't look at the leaderboard. Don't look at the points. All it does is cause you to either panic because you don't have as many points as you would like to have because you've been losing, or it can cause you to become unfocused because you start inventing these scenarios in the future, right? Okay, well, I have this many points, and if I win out the next two rounds, then I'll have X amount of points, and I can just do that. I can draw it, right? Mm -hmm. And you start playing with a little bit of weight on your shoulders because now you're worried about not achieving this fictional scenario that you've created in your head. Mm-hmm. hasn't happened yet you know so don't look at the leaderboard don't look at the points when you need to know trust me you will know just play your best magic every round and that's always the objective no matter what that's really interesting because i find that when i read a lot of people's updates on twitter or on facebook about how yeah. they're doing in a tournament like you know if you look at a gp it's got or a pro tour it's got like a day one day two kind of structure right you know you, you might hear people say you know, I made it into day two, so I'm uh, X2 or X3. All right, I have to win the rest of the way out, right? So yeah, do you, do yeah. You, is, that, is, that, is that counterproductive? Does it fire up some people more than others? I'm just wondering how, like, if that's a good way to look at it or not. It depends on the person. It's, there's always a the, – again, for me, there is no right or wrong. It's better or worse, mm. right? And I'll give you an analogy. And this might sound really crazy and weird, but you're going to understand it by the end of it, right? So say, for example, you want to go to the store, 
Okay. Now, there's two different ways you could get there. Okay. You could go straight from where you are straight to the store, right? The shortest route possible. You could do that. Yep, or, straight line. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Or you could go, you could take all the back roads around your entire, you know, immediate area. You could go like in a giant 50-mile U-turn basically and go through all the stoplights and go through all the back roads. And you would you would still eventually get there, right? It would just be like two hours later. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Again, is that wrong? It's not a matter of right or wrong. Say you like that approach and you want to do that. Fine, do that. If that's what you like to do and that's how you want to do it, go and do it. Now, is there a better way? Is there a better approach to getting to the same destination? Of course there is. And you could take that. But it's up to you to decide what you want to do. You know, so... For example, when you, like you said there, if a player's constantly thinking about their record and how many points they have left until they can get into the top eight or they can do X or whatever, right? Now, some players will thrive off of that. It will motivate them. It will give them a sense of energy, enthusiasm. Some players can respond to that well. Now, while that may be a benefit to them, that's true. There's also there's still risks that are associated with that. And this is true of anybody. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter because the fact of the matter is and it, it happens very oftentimes on a subconscious level. And I think you'll agree with me. You'll understand what I'm talking about because you've been there. You know you've played this game. When you're sitting there, and like I said, a lot of times it's very subtle. It's very, un, it's very unconscious. But you'll be sitting there and playing, and if you, if you know in your mind – that you have to get X amount of points in order to have a chance of making to the top eight or staying in contention or whatever. Every little thing that happens during a game that goes against that potentiality happening, mm -hmm. it's going to have an effect on you, mm -hmm. right? It's going to cause you to maybe panic a little bit, get a little more nervous, get a little more fearful, you know, inject a little more doubt into your game, and that will change your performance. It will, even if it's on a subtle level. You know, and that's that's something I think that probably happens a lot more than people realize, you know, by by always focusing on what your record is and how many points you need to get. So, like I said, to make it to the top eight or stay in contention. Right. I just need to keep winning out. I just need to keep doing it. if I win the next three rounds or this and that, then I can get in. OK, then that that fear, it's natural, that fear of not getting that is going to be on your mind as you're playing every single round until you get there. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, everything adds up, right? That's what we're saying. It's and and everything. I mean, it's like sports, like uh, any kind of competitive activity, really. Magic, sports, or anything. It's like yes. there's this kind of a uh, it's a game of inches, or you have to try to get the edge. So when you're doing things uh, subconsciously to remove from yourself that edge, that can be very counterproductive. Yeah, is what I'm hearing. Yes. So you know, it's like I said. Sometimes a lot of times it's very subconscious. You you don't you don't really realize it. You can feel it, but you can't really identify it. You just feel that dread, right? Like, oh my gosh, like I have, like, you know, say you lose. So you go to the next round, right? And you know, all I got to do is win the next three rounds and I'm top eight. That's it. And you're playing game one of that next round and you lose that game. Yep. Very subconsciously. Back is against the wall. Yeah. Yes. I need to win this next game. Otherwise, I could lose and then that's it. It happens very subconsciously, and it can eat away at you without you realizing it, and it can affect your level of performance. And we both know it has happened to players many times. It, it happens, you know. So that's why I advocate that. Mm -hmm. it's, you don't need to know your record. It's irrelevant. And yep. knowing it, can it, does it, have, can it have benefits to it? Yes. If you're a very mentally strong player, 
it can have benefits, but you can take a different approach that can give you, that can get you to the same outcome without the risk being associated with it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why, again, I don't, it's not a matter of right or wrong for me. It's about which one is better. Take yeah. the better approach. The, the highest Instead percentage of, play, right? Right. Instead of driving in the 50 mile, you know, radius that takes two hours to get to the store, just take the straight line. It's easier. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can get to the top eight without thinking about your record, and there's no risks associated with that, no negative side effects. It makes sense to just do it that way. Mm-hmm. Less you know? mental and, energy expend, expenditure and all that, right? And you won't have the same mental burdens that the players who really focus on their records, you won't have the same burdens that they have. You'll be able to go into every round. You won't know your record. You'll just go, oh, whatever. I'm just playing magic. This actually happened very recently in golf. And I actually posted this on my Facebook. I don't know if you saw this, but um, Phil Mickelson, right? And for people who don't know Phil Mickelson, which I'm sure a lot of Magic players maybe don't care about golf. (laughs) One of the greats. One of the greats. But Phil Mickelson, yeah, he's one of the greatest golfers ever, certainly of the past 20 years. And, you know, he's won major championships. I mean, he's just an amazing player. He was playing recently at a tournament, and uh, a lot of golfers will do this. And all the golfers I work with, we do this as well. When you're playing on the course – you don't look at the leaderboard. You don't need to know what it is. It's every you just focus on each shot, each round, and then you just see where you're at at the end of the round. That's how you do it, and that's how that's how Phil Mickelson plays too. And he was playing golf, and he was playing, and he was he did he was doing really well. He was tied for the lead, but he didn't know it because he wasn't looking at the leaderboard. He said, but he was on the um, he was on the eleventh hole, and he caught the leaderboard. It came around. Because a lot in golf, a lot of times they bring the leaderboard around, so that way the galleries know where the standings are and things like that. And he saw it, and he saw that he was tied for first. And again, this is according to him. This isn't just my opinion. This is what he said. Okay, he ended up finishing that tournament tied for ninth. He went from tied to first, tied to ninth within seven or eight, seven, six or seven holes. And according to him. He said he saw his name tied for first on the leaderboard, and he panicked. Yeah, it threw him off. He did not. He did not. He did not realize. He didn't think that he was that high up. He didn't realize that. And when he realized that he was tied for first, again, what did we talk about? What happens with every shot? What happens with every round? Right? You kind of start to okay. I need to sustain this now. So I need to win this next game, or I need to win this next round, and it can cause you to panic. And that's exactly what happened to him. And he like double bogeyed the next hole, and he just went downhill from there and ended up tied for ninth. And he said that was de- he said that was the reason why. I just I you know throughout the whole round I didn't look at the leaderboard. I didn't care where I was, and I was just playing golf. He says, but once I saw that I was tied for first, I didn't think I was that high up. He says it caused me to panic. He says now I have I'm not as mentally sharp as I usually am, and I haven't played because and it's true he hadn't played for a while. Right. So he, he admitted, I'm not as mentally sharp as I normally am, but that was definitely my mistake, and that's what caused me uh, to go downhill as much as I did. And that's coming from one of the best golfers in the world. So this is very real. There's a reason why those elite-level athletes do things like that. It's, it's you know, it's There's a reason why. And so, again, it's something maybe that hasn't been talked about in Magic that much, I'm sure, but any if I were to work with any player, I'd, I would tell them the same thing. You don't don't look at the leaderboards. Don't look at your points. It's irrelevant. You don't need to know. Play your best magic every round as best as you can and just do that every single round. And when you need to know what your points are, you will know. 
And that's that's when you need to know what it is. Until then, all it does is give you unnecessary pressure, unnecessary nervousness, tension that you don't need. You know, does that make sense? Totally, totally. So let's say that uh, let, let's let's continue this. So uh, I, sure. I totally hear what you're saying. So Coach Will, I've uh, I've 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 mastered that. You know, I, I'm I'm taking it one game, one round at a time. Sure. Uh, wow, you're a fast learner. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I've I've come back, Sensei. It's been like uh, ten yeah. years of doing that, and you know, uh, it's sure. I've learned a lot. Well, uh, take that long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it should only take like three days. Right? <laughs> It doesn't take that long. Right, right, right. So, but I get you. Yeah, so if, if I wanted to sort of uh, supplement that, like I, I've seen a lot of people, athletes or gamers, uh, magic players, they really have these kind of rituals, right? You know, you have people who, right. who uh, listen to the same music before the game or they put their socks on the same way. You know, LeBron sure. has that powder thing. Brian Kibler listens to music between rounds. Uh, I'm, I'm doing all yeah. kinds of analogies here, but uh, like, yeah. how, how important is that, Coach, to, uh, to, to, to peak performance? Like, is that something that uh, a lot of people do? Does it help people who maybe don't have a ritual to try and seek out a ritual? I'm just kind of wondering about your thoughts on that. Yes, rituals are very important. Rituals are very, very important. Um, you know, all top, all top level athletes have rituals that they do. Now, some of them are more grounded in superstition. You know, you talked about putting the right sock on before the left, you know, why did, why, for example, why would an athlete do something like that? It's, it's purely superstition, right? There's nothing actually in it that's actually, you know, that has any substance to it. It's purely, it does something to them psychologically, whether it gives them confidence, makes them feel comfortable gives them a sense of security and uh, certainty. You know, that can be one of, that's mainly the reasons why they do things like that. And that's okay, fine, that's a harmless thing, you know. But, you know, there are other rituals that are that are great. Like you said, take Brian Kibler, for example, who listens to music between each round. Now, that could be done for a number of reasons. That could be to give himself, you know, emotional energy and enthusiasm to play. It could also be to relax him, to calm him, I and mean, to kind of avoid mental burnout. It depends on what kind of music you listen to, I guess. But rituals are very important. As human beings, and you know this, you know, because you're kind of into this kind of stuff too, as human beings, we're very habit-oriented creatures. We are. Even on a very subconscious level, we do things very habitually, you know? And, you know, I'll give you – even when I go and make eggs every morning – I do it exactly the same way every single morning. I do everything in the exact same order. And it's we're just creatures of habit. That's how our brains are wired to work. It gives our brains that sense of comfort zone. Mm -hmm. You know, by doing the same thing the same way over and over and over again, it gives our brain that sense of certainty. So that's, you know, that's kind of where that comes from. But, um, yeah, rituals are important, uh, not only for, uh, you know, in magic we're kind of fortunate because you have the ability to, you know, you have in, you have rounds. You know, magic happens over a long period of time, and you're able to do things in between rounds to keep your mindset in a peak state. Right. You know, take a sport like uh, maybe soccer, for example. It's harder to have that. You know, you play for 45 minutes straight, and then you have a halftime, and then it's another 45 minutes. So a lot of your mental preparation comes from before the game and things like that. You know, and the rituals that you have and the habits you have before the game to get yourself mentally prepared. So having the right habits and routines, you know, to get yourself in the in the peak state is very important, as well as, you know, having routines and things like that that you do, uh, you know, 
take magic for example throughout the course of a tournament having routines that you do is definitely definitely helpful to you it's it's extremely important especially when it comes to avoiding burnout because that's the big thing right Mm -hmm. like magic tournaments nowadays are so big you know gps are just enormous like it's crazy right thousands of players in a tournament field Mm -hmm. you're playing 14 15 rounds you know nine rounds in a day you know, you need to have it's it's like a marathon. You have to have the mental stamina to do that. And if you can't, if you don't have a routine or a ritual for dealing with burnout, you're going to lose your focus and concentration, and you're going to throw away games in, in those final rounds of each day. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, have can you? Do you have an example of something like that where that's happened to you? I mean, you know, where you've because I know you played like Star Wars really competitively. You've played Magic, obviously. You know, like I'd be curious to know if you have a story where you know not having a ritual or routine in the middle of a tournament, you know, kind of caused you to throw away something where maybe there was something there that you could have had. Has that ever happened to you before? Yeah, maybe not strictly related to rituals or routines, but I, I can yeah. remember sort of uh, when I was playing in a GP Providence so many years ago in 2011. Right. It was a uh, it was the first one that I went to with my friends on a on a big road trip, and we really enjoyed that. But uh, I remember actually at the beginning of the seventh round, I was actually six and zero, oh, and I was I was riding high. You know, I, I was yeah. I was winning. I was getting good draws. I thought I played decently well, but then I kind of yeah. put a lot of pressure on myself. I kind of thought, well, you know, I've already not not pressure on myself, but I thought, hey, it's my first GP. I'm six and zero. Oh. I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. I'm at the top of the leaderboards. I'm looking at the leaderboards, right? Uh, and, uh, See, and, even winning can be bad. Exactly. <laughs> right? Even winning can be bad. That's, that's be why, hard to do. That's it. why what you're saying is really yeah. resonating because I was, in that situation, I remember I was looking at it and then I thought, I actually thought to myself, you know, no matter what happens from now, I'll be happy with it. So I actually felt like, you right. know, I, I, I kind of gave myself a mental out, if, if you will. Right, right. Yeah. So... That that was kind of the thing, and 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 related to rituals, um, I'll be honest. I don't even have really a defined magic-related ritual today. So uh, my question is really around: Should I go look for one? How do I find identify one? Like, do I do I look at a, a tournament that I've won and just kind of pick something from there that I did and try to do it again? Like, if I happen to put my socks on a certain way, <laughs> just start doing that? I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just want to know, like, like how, how, how do I go about it? I mean, of course, I shuffle my cards a certain way. I mean, I, I, I take right. cards out of my deck box, deck, deck box a certain way. I don't know if that counts. I, I, I would love to get your yeah. take on it. Well, again, right, there's, there's, there's superstition, right? Like you said, like you know, something with your deck box or whatever. I mean, putting your socks on a certain way. I mean, are these things actually legitimately doing anything? No, but psychologically, if they do something for you a little bit, then you know, it's fine. It's, it's like I said, those are harmless things. You know what I mean? Those are harmless habits, harmless rituals that aren't going to do anything bad for you. You know, um, but no, uh, that's a good question. I mean, here's what I would say, uh, and for any magic player who's listening, uh, I'll give you an example of something that you could do uh, in terms of rituals. To not only get yourself mentally prepared to play, but also to keep it during the course of a tournament. So mental preparation before a tournament, should you do it? Absolutely, of course you should. No question about that. What can you do? Well, there's a number of things you can do. Uh, The most important thing I would say, and I would love to get your take on this, is uh, visualization exercises. You know, especially because Magic is such a a, a mental game, I think... uh, visualizing games of magic the night before you go to play 
would be a huge thing. So take, for example, you know what deck you're going to play, at least hope you should, <laughs> right? And a lot of times it doesn't happen. You know, players a lot of times don't know what deck they're going to play until like a few hours before the tournament. But if you prepare adequately, adequately enough, you should have all that set beforehand. So you know what deck you're going to play, and you know generally what you expect to play against, right, in any given metagame at any given time. You kind of know what decks you're going to play against that that tournament. So the night before, visualize yourself playing games of Magic against other decks. You know, visualize yourself. Uh, and the key thing, too, is visualize yourself playing really well. Visualizing yourself drawing really well. You know, visualize yourself like perfect curve, everything, playing, making the right decisions. And just try to visualize games of Magic. You know, and do that the night before. And... Visualization is extremely effective and it's been scientifically proven, you know, it's not even a debate. You know, and they've actually done studies on this where, um, and I don't know if you know about this, study. You, ever, you know the basketball study? Have you seen this? No, actually, I haven't heard about the basketball study. You haven't seen this? So, uh, some years ago they did a study, uh, they wanted to know, uh, you know, does visualization actually affect performance and improvement? And so they took a group of basketball players and they divided this group, uh, basketball players, into three groups. And what they had them do is uh, practice free throws over six weeks. And then at the end of the six weeks, they would bring them in and test them and see which group improved the most. So over the six weeks period, you know, they divide them into three groups. And the first group uh, just did, you know, traditional practice. They stood on the free throw line. They physically practiced shooting free throws and all of that. The second group didn't do anything, didn't touch a basketball, did nothing. The third group practiced shooting free throws, but the key thing was is they weren't allowed to touch a basketball. All they did was visualize themselves shooting free throws, and not just shooting them, but shooting perfectly. Perfect body posture, perfect technique, perfect release, perfect fly to the ball, you know, swish into the net, no backboard, no rim, no like perfect, every single shot, uh-huh. you know, exactly how they wanted it to be. And they did that for six weeks, and they brought all of them in, and they tested them. And the group that did the visualization did 20% better than everybody else. Wow. Even the group that actually line and physically practiced shooting free throws. Okay, so DeAndre Jordan, if you're listening, do not actually <laughs> use a physical basketball. Use an air basketball in your mind. You will actually get better results. And there's a reason why that works, and it makes sense when you think about it. Because think about the brain, mm-hmm. right? Does the brain, I'll ask you this, does the brain distinct between reality and fantasy? No, I mean, perception is reality. I mean, reality is what we make of it, right? It doesn't. And again, you know how you know this is true? Because this has happened to everybody. Have you ever had a dream? Or I guess it would be a nightmare, right? Mm-hmm. When you wake up and like... Your heart is racing, like you're sweating really badly, mm-hmm. like your muscles are numb. Like, have you ever had that yep. happen to you before? Yep, yep. Your body doesn't know. Your body doesn't know. Well, exactly. so why does that happen? Because your body, the, the, the visual images that you're seeing are so vivid and so real. Your, your mind thinks it's real. That's why your mind creates that physical reaction. Because the images that, that you're visualizing, well, I mean, what's dreams? I mean, that's visualization. That's what mm-hmm. that is. Mm-hmm. So your mind thinks that that's real, and that's why it creates that those physical reaction, the heart pounding, the sweating, you know, your muscles being numb. You know, we all, we've all had dreams where you wake up and you go, wait a second, was that real? Like, did, like, I'm, like was that, did that just happen? Like, and you kind of have to, it takes a moment for you to 
like figure out if you're still in the dream or not. Like again, there's a reason for that, and it's it's because the visuals are so real. Your brain can't distinguish between reality and fantasy. Mm -hmm. So when you visualize performance, it's the same as physically going out and doing it. It has the same effect, and it's true scientifically speaking in terms of the 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 neuroscience behind it. Visualization fires up the same neurotransmitters in your brain as if you go actually go out and physically do it. So if you were to actually go out and physically shoot a basketball, that's going to fire up specific neurotransmitters in your brain. When you do visualization of the same thing, it fires those same neurotransmitters. Same exact thing. And so that's why visualization works so well because it's like doing twice the work with half the effort. Pretty cool, isn't it? When you think that's, about it. That's that's awesome. I'm definitely going to try that for my next uh, tournament in a few. So by days. visualizing games of magic, it's literally like practicing games of magic without doing it physically. You know, and you, your brain, you're teaching your brain and you're showing your brain how you want it to do something. You know, and it's 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 obviously beneficial for other things as well, right? I mean, if you constantly visualize yourself playing great magic and and, and making the good decisions and doing things well, what's gonna naturally happen to your confidence as a side effect of that? It's gonna increase, right? Mm -hmm. So it has all these other benefits too, you know, and but that's why visualization is so important. Like even you know, on a scientific level, that's why it works so well. So I advocate visualization before tournaments. Visualize games of magic. Visualize mm -hmm. yourself playing. But the key is, you know, again, visualize yourself drawing really well. Is it gonna really affect your draws? Of course not. You know, if you had that kind of power, you, you know, you'd be, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, just visualize what you want to see. You know, visualize the things you want to see. Visualize yourself playing great magic, making mm -hmm. great decisions, mm -hmm. taking the right lines. It'll build confidence, but it'll also show you how it'll, you'll be showing your brain, this is how I want you to play tomorrow. And your brain just responds to commands. You know, you give your brain a command, in this case, a visual command, it will absorb that and it will just do what you tell it to do. And it will try to replicate that for you. So what, what other techniques? Uh, so you, you've got me sold here. I, I'm definitely going to try visualization. Yeah. What, what are some other techniques that may potentially help me, Mr. Uh, middle of the pack magic player here? <laughs> <laughs> watch, watch movies, watch good films, you know, watch inspirational, I don't say inspirational videos, but, you know, just like watch movies that, that, put you in the, in the right mindset to perform, right? I mean, I'll give you an example of this. Um, in 2011, uh, this is in terms of soccer. In 2011, uh, FC Barcelona played against Manchester United in the Champions League final at Wembley Stadium in England. And, you know, Barcelona and Manchester United, the two of the biggest clubs in the world, um, and the Champions League final is basically the biggest final in the sport in the entire world. It's a massive, massive thing. And a very prestigious event. And... Uh, Barcelona ended up winning that game three to one, and they absolutely destroyed them. I mean, it was one of the, it was a masterclass. I mean, beautiful. I mean, they played amazing. It was incredible, absolutely incredible game. And a lot of the players attributed that to the fact that their coach Pep Guardiola the night before he had them watch the movie uh, Gladiator together as a team. They watched the movie Gladiator. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sure you've seen the movie Gladiator. For anybody who hasn't seen it, you know what is it? It's a guy. Who has you know? He's a gladiator. He goes in. He has to fight for his survival. So there's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of, you know, obviously fighting through pain, fighting for survival. Yeah. 
yeah. you know, aggressiveness, toughness, pulling together, right? Because he's with these other group of guys and they have to survive together, right? So there's the team aspect involved in terms of soccer, right? Mm-hmm. So it just put them in that mindset of it sounds really corny and cheesy, right? But it's that mindset of being a gladiator and wanting to go out and perform. And it's no coincidence that they went out the next day and were able to do that. And a lot of the play, again, this isn't just my opinion. This is coming from them. The players said that watching that movie, it kind of, they felt like gladiators, you know, and it put them into that state. And that's what helped them to be able to go out and perform like that and win. So uh, you can, you know, watch movies is a great way to do that, you know, and things like that. Um, You can, you know, you can listen to music as well. You can read things. Uh, You can watch uh, another interesting thing you can do is go and watch games of magic by maybe your favorite players, the players that you like to model, the players that you want to emulate. You know, go and watch their game, their best games or whatever. Um, if you happen to have, say you happen to have games saved from Magic Online that you've played that you did really good, go back and watch those again. Remind yourself of, of, of how good you can play. You know, in your head, go back and think about the great tournaments that you've had the great games of magic that you've played you know the amazing decisions you know like holy crap like i just i can't believe i made that play that was awesome right like i saw that line and i did that remind yourself of that remind yourself of what you're capable of as a player you know lots of things like that that you can do uh the night before to help yourself get you know mentally prepared um once you wake up the next day um i always recommend getting up early you know, the earlier the better. Well, first off, get good sleep, right? So you need to go to bed at a good time. Mm-hmm. Uh, get lots of sleep, eight to nine hours if you can. And then, you know, wake up the next day as early as you can. And I think the best thing to do, the best way to always start the day of a performance is something physical. So go and go for a walk outside. You know, you don't have to go, you know, do CrossFit or anything. But, <laughs> you know, go and just go for a walk. Start getting your brain fired up. You know, again, scientifically, you know, physical activity fires up the brain. So go and do something, go for a walk, you know, do 20 push-ups, do 20 sit-ups, do whatever you can do just to get yourself physically active. And just being physically proactive sends very good signals to your brain like, okay, I'm ready for the day. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a great way to do that too. Um, and just as the day starts to progress towards the tournament, you know, again, listening to music is great. Um, that's probably the best thing to do. Again, it depends on you and what you want. If you need the energy and the enthusiasm, you can listen to more upbeat type music. If you like to be more relaxed, more calm, and more focused, you can listen to, you know, more relaxing music. I mean, I have a golfer, a uh, guy who plays on the PJ Tour. He loves to listen to like Beethoven and Bach before tournaments. It's not a coincidence either, right? Mm-hmm. Think about golf: very calm, focused sport that demands a lot of concentration. Listening to that kind of music helps him with that. So that's mm-hmm. what he likes to listen to. You know, I work with a professional soccer player who plays in the first division in Portugal. You know, he likes to listen to death metal before every game. <laughs> Some <laughs> Ramstein. Yeah, or something. It's a defender. Like yeah. So think about the correlation between those two, right? What do defenders do? His job is to win the ball, make yep. tackles, win the ball, be physical, things like that. So it's no coincidence he listens to that kind of music because it, 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 it gives him the emotional energy and puts him in the state that he needs to be able to do that to do that specific job. You know, so it's different for everybody. But um, and then once you get to the tournament, um, you need to have and there's a I mean, we could go all day, James. I and mean, there's a lot of <laughs> you need you need to have rituals. You need to have a, I mean, rituals and routines are the same thing. So, 
you need to have a routine for how you deal with losses or results. So what's your routine for dealing with results? You know, and I always, I have what I call, um, I tell players you need to have a script or a narrative, mm. right? And this is something we would do uh, in a session before you go and play, right? So a lot of times I do, so you need to have a routine for mentally how you deal with results, right? So when you win, you need to have a script, just like an actor, right? When they get into certain scenes, certain situations, they have a script that they say, right? And I think magic, it's great to have the same thing as a magic player. So when you get into a certain situation, right, when you're winning, you need to have a script that you recite to yourself to help you deal with that so it doesn't have an effect on you. You know, you need to have that routine. And you recite, you say this phrase or these phrases to yourself every time when you get into, when you win and you're doing well, you say these things to yourself from this script or this narrative to keep yourself from being affected by it. And the same thing when you're losing, right? You need to have a script or a narrative that you recite to yourself that helps you cope with that in the right way so you can react to it and it doesn't have an effect on you. So you need to have a routine for that. You know, you need to have a routine for, you know, again, the, the big routine for Magic players is between rounds. How do you keep yourself fresh and uh, you know, reinvigorated for every single round. So, you know, that way you don't burn out because that's the real issue for magic players. Because again, there's no physical aspect, really. It's a very ment it's a mental game. So your brain is going to expend a ton of energy, thinking, concentrating, focusing. If you don't have a routine between rounds for resetting that and keeping that fresh, then burnout will become an issue for you. You know, so do you have a routine between rounds, how do you? What, what are some things you can do between rounds to deal with that? Well, I think the best thing is to get out of the tournament space. You know, go outside, get some fresh air, and get away from the the commotion and you know the 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 stifled, you know, tournament environment. Get out, get some air, breathe. You know, get some space away from all the commotion and just, you know, get away from that. That's important. Number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, and probably the most important thing, is what I like to call 5-5 five, five breathing. So 5-5 five, five breathing is five seconds in through your nose, five seconds out through your mouth. It's like a form of mini meditation. Consciously controlling and dictating your breathing has been scientifically shown to fire up the areas of the brain that are responsible for focus and concentration. So it's very, very important. So, you know, again relaxing breathing in five seconds through your nose out five seconds through your mouth is is an amazing incredible way to relax your mind relax yourself and to kind of reset things hmm. even being a little bit physical is good too you know it's you, know, you can get if if you you can go outside you know say you have enough time between rounds to go and grab something to drink or whatever at a gas station down the street or whatever and you can walk there mm -hmm. like we talked about earlier uh, exercise again. Exercise fires up the areas of the brain responsible for like focus and concentration and things like that. So, you know, just something as simple as being active. You can do. You know, it sounds really weird, but I've even told players, you know, do ten push-ups, do you know, do ten jumping jacks, whatever. It will fire up your brain and keep it alert. You know, so these are small. That's another small. Those are some other small things that you can do too. Mm -hmm. um, but having these routines between rounds to keep yourself, you know, from being burnt out later on is, is very, very important, I think. Uh, so that way you can sustain yourself over these long tournaments, you know. And then you need to have a routine for mentally recovering from tournaments as well. 
you know, so if a tournament doesn't go well at all, say you have a terrible <laughs> tournament. Story of my life. You need to have a routine for how you're going to react to that. You know, same thing with um, if you do really well. Say you have a really successful tournament. You know, what's your routine? You need to have a routine for dealing with success too because you can't like, you can't let success go to your head too much. Yeah, reflection, you can't, right? Can't like whether, whether a tournament goes good or bad, you got to or objectively good or bad, you have to be able to yeah. think about what you did right and what you could improve on. I think that's uh, right. Uh, that's part of the self-awareness package, I think. Yes, definitely, definitely. Self-evaluation and things like that, definitely. So, yeah, I mean, I know that's kind of a long runaround to your question, but routines are definitely very important and formulating rituals for mental preparation for competition, uh, rituals for mid mid-tournament, like I said, to avoid burnout, to avoid results affecting you, things like that. And then also having rituals for mentally recovering from tournaments mm-hmm. so that results don't affect you in the wrong way is important too. So those are the three different ways rituals are important, especially for mostly, you know, and specifically for magic players. Hopefully that answers your question. It, it definitely does. And uh, no, I've, no, this is good. This is good. Now James, the magic player is going to, you know, take this and uh, hopefully do better in the next uh next tournament or event and kind of work work his way up to and obviously it. there are very specific things you know that you know these are the exact routines that you would do but that's something we would discuss in a session and i'm not trying to make it sound like some kind of trade seek or whatever it's not but i mean we would be here forever i mean you talk about it but you know there are very specific you know you would be very specific about it you know and we would talk about that and we would actually write it down mm-hmm. we would write it out or the way it would work is I would give you a sheet because I have info sheets that I give to all, everybody I work with. I just give them the information, you know, or take, for example, like I said, the script or the narrative that you recite to yourself when you win or lose. I would have them write that out. So I would say, OK, when you when you lose a game of magic, write down some phrases. What would you say to yourself in that moment when you lose to keep yourself from being affected by that loss? What would you say to yourself or what would you want to say to yourself? Write that down and just think of as many as you can and write them out. And the same thing for winning. And the same thing for when you make a mistake, right? When you make a mistake, a huge punt during a game, how are you going to deal with that? You need to have a script. You need to have – you can't just leave that to chance. Have a script that you can just go to like clockwork and say when you make a mistake, this phrase, you just say it to yourself and it gets you over that mistake right away. It's all about that preparation, right? It's all about having a counter, having a response, having the will. Yeah. Uh, No pun intended. (laughs) Yes, you got to be disciplined, you know, and it's it takes a lot of dedication, right? I mean, this is a lot, right? It's a lot to ask of a player, but you know, I think it can definitely make the difference. It makes the difference in sport, you know. It's 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 all the clients I work with, we we do all of these things. You know, golfers I work with and they hit a bad shot, they have a script. Yeah. Automatically they go straight to this phrase or these phrases they say to themselves for for, you know, to keep that bad shot from affecting them. You know, they have ways of, you know, during – it's a long day, two, three hours on a golf course in the heat, 18 holes. You know, golf may seem like it's not whatever, but it's it's a tough sport. It's very mentally draining. Golf is easily the hardest sport, no question about it, because you can hit a terrible shot and you have a long time to think about that. <laughs> and that's <laughs> you got to watch where the ball went, right? Yeah, yeah. And you have to stand there and you have to wait and you have to – it's very easy to get caught up in that and it's very difficult. It's a very hard sport. 
That's, and that's you know, a good point. I never never thought about that actually. Yeah, the 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 periods of extreme long periods of agony, right? Yeah, and the technique is so fine. You know, you're swinging in the face of a golf club. It's a very small space, and you have to very, hit a very small ball, and you have to hit that ball in a very precise spot. And if you don't, that can change your trajectory of your shot 10, 20 yards, right, left, you know, 20 yards short, 20 yards back. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's an amazing sport. It's, it's incredible. It's and, really and incredible. that goes back to what you said about, you know, the process. And it's, it's kind of pure process at that point. Like you have to really yes. get the mechanics right. You have to trust the process. You have to trust that. You have to visualize the ball, yeah. kind of get into exactly where it is. And if it doesn't, if it yeah. does, great. If it doesn't, you don't beat yourself up. And you don't, you know, while you're waiting, I don't know, Lord knows how long for the next uh, next chance yeah. to do that, you know. So yeah. it, it, it's it's just you kind of screwing with your own mind, really, right? <laughs> it's Yes. It's an unbelievable how mental golf is. It's just insane. And uh, in a lot of ways, I'm glad I don't have to be them. <laughs> but it's, it's hard. It's very, very hard. And, you know, magic is the same way. You know, magic is obviously an extremely mental sport, and um, it's there's all these little things I think a lot of magic players don't realize that keeps them from moving to the next level. You know, you could be the best player in the world, and this is why the psychological aspect of being a competitive magic player is so important. Mm-hmm. You can be the best player in the world. You can have, I mean, take LSV, for example, and he's openly talked about this. LSV went from... He had a really great career, really great high, one pro tour. He was in the Hall of Fame, and he had he had like five to six years of terrible results. Oh, yeah. Why did that happen? He didn't forget. Did he become a bad Magic player? Did he forget how to play the game? No. It's nothing to do with technical ability. You have a player who's an amazing, fantastic Magic player, and he's getting terrible results year after year after year after year. There's a reason for that. It's not a coincidence. And what I, I mean, it's, it's in my line of work, I know what the cause is because what ha- it starts with that first tournament. You get that first bad result, you react to it in the wrong way. And what happens is, is that affects your mindset, affects your mentality. And what happens is, is the next tournament you go into, you're not tapping into your ability as a player and you're not, you're not tapping into that as much. Mm-hmm. And so what happens, your performance levels aren't anywhere, aren't as good. And so what happens? You get another bad tournament result. And what's that bad tournament result due to your mindset? If you react to it the wrong way, it makes it even weaker. And so the next tournament, you tap into even less of your ability. Now you're playing even worse. You get an even worse result. And the next thing you know, you're on this downward cycle. Yep. And that's how that happens. That's how athletes go from you know, the top to the bottom. That's how teams get into bad runs of form. That's how magic players get into bad runs of form. And you know, get bad results tournament after tournament after tournament because they don't react to their results in the right way. You know, and I'm, of course it's hard to do. I'm not saying it's easy. It's definitely hard. It's difficult. But something being difficult doesn't mean we can't. We're not responsible for it. We still need to make sure we do these things. Mm-hmm. You know, and so talent, skill, ability—these things are important. They're the foundations of being a great player. You have to have them. Obviously, no question about that. But. If you don't have the mental side of being able to compete, it's just never going to happen. It's just not going to happen for you. It's impossible. You know, and you take a player like Owen Turtenwald. You know, Owen gets a lot of flack, right? Because he's such an overly confident person. You know, and he maybe oftentimes doesn't portray it <laughs> in sure. the best way. Yeah, sometimes. maybe not the best yeah. way. You know, but, uh, yeah. But it's, he, I mean, he's an extremely confident player. 
you know, extremely confident player. He believes in himself to an extreme amount. And that extreme confidence is what allows him to kind of move on from tough losses and things like that. Yeah. You know, it's a subtle thing that people might not realize makes the difference, but it does. You know, if Owen Turtenwald didn't have the confidence that he had, he had zero belief in himself as a player. I mean, do you believe that he would be where he is right now? No, I mean, he wouldn't be Owen Turtenwald, right? We never, we would never have heard of him. So, of course not. So, again, and this is what I would tell all Magic players, and I'm pleading with you, you know, and this isn't about me. You you don't have to work with me. You don't have to care about any of my stuff I write. It's fine. It doesn't, whatever. But just, I want you to understand you can play test as much as you want. You can practice. You can, you can, you can have the best deck. You can know the metagame inside and out. You can do everything physically and technically right to go and play. But if when you show up to perform, if your mind is not in the right place, it's just not going to work. It's not going to come together. You know, so uh, that's why these things like rituals and routines and stuff like that, like you mentioned, that, that's why there's there everything. You said it perfectly. Everything is small details and they add up to make a big difference. Indeed, they do, and that's what makes it so fascinating. Is the kind of the, the because we're human, basically. I mean, we're not robots, yes. so it's all about kind of being masters of ourselves, really. I mean, that's yeah. that's really half the battle, or over half the battle, as it were. Definitely, and and that would be the next step. You know, in continuing the role here, that would be the next step. I would tell you, and one of the core fundamental things that I would start with as well is like, listen, you know, James, you you have to understand, and again, I'm, I'm telling all Magic players this now. You are a human being and you are imperfect. You always have been, you always will be, and you are whether you like it or not, it is inevitable that you are going to fail miserably at times. You're going to have you're going to make huge mistakes. You're going to have games where you play terribly. You're going to have tournaments where you get awful results. It's just an un- inevitable part of the process and you if you want to become a great magic player, if you want to become a great athlete, whatever, you have to genuinely accept that. You can't resist that. A lot of a lot of athletes, a lot of magic players, they fear that. They fear that failure. They fear making the mistakes. They fear, you know, having a terrible day, having a terrible performance. You can't fear those things. You have to accept that you are imperfect and you have to be okay with that. I don't think you can ever really be truly great at something unless you accept that. You have to understand that you're imperfect and you're gonna be bad sometimes it's the way that it is whether you like it or not it's the way it's always going to be mm-hmm. now do you settle for that there's a big difference between accepting something and settling for it yes you have yes. to accept imperfection you have to it's part of being a human being okay do you settle for imperfection of course not you always look for ways to get better to improve to learn from why why did you have a bad day why did you make that mistake why did you lose that game why did you lose that round? Why did you lose that tournament? Always try to learn and try to minimize your imperfection as much as possible and get as close to perfection as you possibly can. You can never get there, but you can try to get there as, as, as close as you can. Right? So you have to be able to accept imperfection. Just don't settle for it. You know, and I think that's a big hump for a lot of magic players. You know, you have to be able to accept failure. It's fine. Making mistakes, losing games of magic, playing terribly, like there's that's not the problem. The problem is how you use them. How do you react to them? How do they affect you? And being a great athlete, being a great magic player, being a great competitor, 
an overwhelmingly huge portion of that is how you react to those things. How do you react to your results? How do you react to your mistakes? If you if you can get very good at that, you're like ninety percent of the do way. Do you pick there. yourself like, up? Yes. Right? Do you? Yes. Do you? Do you? Do you call it quits? Do you pivot? I mean, it's it's life, really, right? I mean, uh, whether you're a magic player, an entrepreneur, an athlete, uh, someone who's trying to rise up the proverbial uh, career ladder, like you're gonna have you're gonna have bumps, you're gonna have setbacks, but it's really what you do and how you how you view it, right? Like what I have noticed in all the years doing this work, like especially with athletes at the highest level, there's something in common with all of them. And I've noticed this over the years, and it's unquestionable. I've noticed this very much in common, and I'd be curious to tell me if you agree or disagree. But what I have noticed is that the very top-level performers and competitors, they thrive off of negativity. Like they thrive off of it. Like they feed off of it. And in a a strange sense, it's almost like they want it to happen. Like that's when you see their best come out. Like when things get really hard, when things get really difficult, when – like the challenges and the obstacles come their way and like the moments where maybe most people wouldn't be able to continue moving on mm-hmm. or wouldn't be able to respond to it like that's when you see their best come out like they love that like they thrive off of that you know that's what the best competitors can do i said the way i phrase it is they thrive off of, ne- of negativity when things get hard when they lose miserably they're able to feed off of that it gives them fuel it gives them a sense of power you know, and they're able to use that to propel themselves forward. I've noticed that with the highest level people I've worked with throughout the years, they're amazing at being able to just take negativity and thrive off of it. I certainly believe that. I mean, uh, sorry to interject, but uh, I just feel, uh, from my experience and what I've what I've seen as well. I mean, I'm not working with top level athletes, but I do feel that there's kind of a a real parallel between people of all different professions where the top yeah. at their game are actually very similar in mindset. So, you know, like a Tiger Woods and yes. uh, a Steve Jobs, there's actually more in common between those two than maybe a Tiger Woods and, yes. and, a, and an amateur level golfer. You know, like there's, yes. there's, there's, it's, it's that transcendence, right? That really, yes. they, they've, they've learned to, yeah, negativity. I mean, even even though I'm, I'm I'm going across different boundaries here, but I mean, one guy I think about when I think about someone who feeds off negativity almost intentionally is someone like Kanye West, right? Like he he he's right. very <laughs> right, like he's the greatest, right? right. Like he's yeah. you know he ha- he yeah. has he has. I mean, I I much respect to Kanye West. Like I'm not a I'm not a Kanye West hater. I respect what he does. I think it's because yeah. he knows he's great and he knows that he has lots of people who are trying to take him down. But I think the process yeah. of him dealing with people trying to take him down actually adds to his strength. I mean, it's it's kind of uh, yes. kind of funny to say that, but uh, it kind of connects with what what I just heard you say. So Definitely. No, it, it, look, it's it's whether you're an athlete, whether you're a competitive magic player or a professional magic player, whether you're a professional in the business world, it doesn't, it doesn't make a difference. It's all the same. You know, the principles, and that's what's beautiful about this, the principles that apply from sports psychology, they apply to business as well. You know, you have to have the right mindset, the right mentality to work at a high level in business. You have to have it too. You know, it's this, all the principles are exactly the same. And, you know, take – Again, you mentioned Tiger Woods there. You know, Tiger Woods is definitely the greatest golfer in the history of the game, you know, hands down. One of the best athletes ever, I would say. You know, in 2008, he was playing in the U.S. Open. And about halfway through uh, the final round on Sunday, he shattered his ACL. Like, he shattered his left ACL in the middle of the round. And he still won the U.S. Open. 
He still won. And not only that, he didn't just win. He had to sink a 12-foot putt on the 18th hole to take it to a playoff and win from there. And he did that with a shattered left ACL. Now, he could have walked away. He could have given up, right? It's a very negative situation. (laughs) If he walked away, no one would have said anything bad. I mean, the the dude shattered his ACL, right? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, his knee was literally in shambles. Like, you could see it. Every time he swung the golf club, it was like he was in absolute anguish. But he, even with that, that that negative that mo- that that negative situation that he was in, you saw his best come out of him. He he holed out a twelve foot putt on the eighteenth hole to take it to a playoff, and he won it on the first playoff hole on a Saturday. I mean, just think about think about the level of mental of of mentality it takes to do something like that. I mean, that is absolutely incredible, you know. And it shows you exactly what I'm talking about: thriving off of negativity. You know, they just have the capacity to do that. You know, so I think to be a great magic player at a high level, you need to have the same thing. Can you thrive off of negativity? You know, when you start out 0-2 at a tournament, can you throw can can that be something that powers you on? Can you thrive off of that? Can that make you go, okay, you know what? This just makes me want to win out the rest of the tournament even more. You know, do you have the do you have that kind of mentality? Can you do that? You know, when you go and you have these maybe lofty ambitions at a GP and you go and you crash out. Can you thrive off of that? Can that can that miserable failure, can that make you go, you know what? Well, now this just makes you want to go to the next GP even more and, and, and get the next one. Yep. Because that sense of redemption is really addicting, isn't it? Like that's the – those are the victories that feel the best anyways. You know, the ones where you kind of redeem yourself. And the fact of the matter is too, as much as we hate failure, we have – we need it. It's necessary. We need it to grow, otherwise, right? Otherwise – well, it's it's the only way to learn and grow. But if you were to win and be successful all of the time, and this ties into the science of motivation, why understanding what motivates you is so important, right? If you were to win and be successful all of the time, what do you think would start to happen? You would not. You would plateau. You would you would sort of um, get complacent, or you would not like. I, I don't know, like you, you, you exactly. just, yeah, you, you would get you, bored. Yeah, you get bored. Wouldn't yeah, you? yeah. You would absolutely get bored. You would absolutely get bored. We know this is true. Why do players go from F and M's and make the next step up? Why don't they just stay at F and M's? They're winning all the time. Why do they make the next step up? Because they're bored. Right. They want that next challenge, right? They don't feel challenged anymore. Better competition. Exactly. So the winning loses its value. And that's why I always tell players you can't care so much about winning because even if you get a lot of it, it can be bad. You're going to get bored of it. And it's actually – there's a scientific term for it. It's called the over-justification effect. And the over-justification effect is when you do something for the sole purpose of trying to uh, you know, achieve an external outcome, then you will lose the desire and motivation to continue doing that activity over time. And that's, that's if you don't get the result, which makes sense, right? You try and you try and you try and you're not getting the result you want. You lose the motivation to keep going. Makes sense. But what they found is it's overwhelmed. It's also true even if you get the result. You will lose the desire and motivation to keep going. And it makes perfect sense because like we said, what happens? If you're constantly winning and getting success and that's the reason why you play the game, you're going to get bored. And winning is, is going to lose its value. 
you know? So, and again, there's a reason for that because as human beings, we always thrive off of challenge, you know? We, we managed to get to the moon, but we haven't stopped there. We've, we're trying now to get to Mars. Why? Because we thrive off of challenge. Mm-hmm. That's what we want. Whether we realize or not, we need that in our lives. And, you know, failure is, is an inevitable and necessary part of that process. If there was no failure, if there was no losing, you would get bored and you would just stop doing whatever it is you're doing. You would just quit the game. That's if right. you were always playing perfectly, if you were always being successful, you would eventually stop because it, would just, it wouldn't give you any feeling anymore. There would be no sense of fulfillment or satisfaction. It just gets boring, you know? So as much as we hate it, you know, we need it. <laughs> This is a necessary part of the process and failure, and that's why I always tell players you got to accept it and you got to embrace it. You know, you got to embrace it. It's just it'll make you a much better player when you can go into tournaments not fearing making mistakes, not fearing losing. Man, it's it's the weight, the the amount of weight that just comes off of you is so enormous. It's right. you know, it's it's it makes a big difference. It makes a big big difference. Very nice, very nice. So. I guess, uh, Will, we've got kind of, uh, kind of quite the playbook and masterclass from you, and uh, it, it actually makes <laughs> me want to read the upcoming book even more. Uh, when, sure. when, when, when do you think you're going to have that sucker out? Like, when are you going to release it into the world? It should be out sometime in the next millennium. That's my hope. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the process, right? So the process of writing, old lander. Well, and- like I said, and I mean, you've written a book, and you know, by the way. I have to mention this, you know, and I'm going to put you on the spot and you might feel a little bit blushy or whatever, but I don't really care. You know, uh, you, you sent me a copy of your book, you know, and uh, which was absolutely amazing. I, I really appreciate you sending me that. And I, you know, I, I really enjoyed reading it. I liked it a lot. The, the, those kind of books I'm normally not that into. I don't really care for that much, but um, like just reading your story about how, you know, magic. And I'm sure the subject matter helped me be interested in it too, because it's a game that I love just like you, and we're both into the same thing. But you know, to kind of hear your story and to see you be so honest and open about how you know the game kind of sucked you in and kind of took over your life, and the issues you had to deal with with that. I, mean, I think I think it's great to hear that aspect of the game because it is something that happens to a lot of players. They get sucked into magic, and it can overtake their life. And it, it trickles over into their personal lives. And I think it was uh, to hear that perspective from a Magic player, I thought was really cool. It was really interesting. So, I, you know, um, but, you know, having written a book, you know, it, it's a hard process. It's a long process. And um, what I have found a lot of times is that knowing what to write about is the easy part. But actually writing about it and structuring it and organizing it and writing it in a way that can be interesting and that makes sense and that keeps people entertained and things like that man that is that is so hard to do so you know um the book is coming along and it's it's uh, i'm you know i'm about halfway through it and i i you know I don't have any goals with it, like in terms of when to be finished. I told myself I wasn't going to put that kind of, you know, deadline on myself. You know, I didn't want to rush it out. I want to take my time with it. And when it feels like it's done, then I'll know and it'll be done and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll send it out. But, um, I guess if there was a time that I would like for it to be done by, like at the absolute latest, it would be maybe the new year, but hopefully I can get it out sooner. I would, I'm going to definitely try to, um, and just it'll be done when it'll be done. That's really kind of the, 
the approach I've taken. You know, I write every day, and sometimes it's a lot, sometimes it's a little bit, but you know, I make sure to write every day, and 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 um, when it'll be done, we we'll just have to see. But um, but I'm excited for it, and I think it hopefully, hopefully, uh, you never know, right? But hopefully, it will. I, I've always envisioned it being the uh, you know. Like an, it'd be the same category as Next Level Magic. I want it to be that kind of book. You know, it, it will be big. It's going to be between 300 and 500 pages long. It's 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 not a small book. It's you know, I mean, just to give you an example, um, that article I wrote called "The Best Way to Win," which is basically it's kind of has to do with desire and motivation and and you know approaching results and things like that. I mean, that article was about 1,500 words long. Uh, I already finished the chapter on desire and motivation in the book, and it's twenty-one thousand words long. You know, so it's 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 fifty pages long. I mean, it's 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 very detailed. I go into very deep detail with each of the topics, and uh, there's ten different chapters. Well, I don't I don't call I call them lessons. Mm-hmm. So you know, lesson number one is about mindset and mentality. And how the mind affects performance, and why you need to, you know, understand that as a magic player. Lesson number two talks about confidence and self-belief, how you can build confidence, the right kind of confidence, you know, as a magic player, and how to sustain it and keep it, you know, things like that. And it's, I've, I like I said in the beginning of the podcast, I see it as the textbook for how to become a very mentally strong competitive magic player. And my aim is to have it be something that just stands the test of time in the game. You know, even hopefully the game is around 25 years from now and it's still relevant. You know, yeah. players can pick it up and read it and it's people just know it. It's like, yeah, that's that's the book, you know, and it's it's just one of those books that you read as a competitive magic player, like next level magic. That's kind of the aim. So um, working hard on it and it should be it should be done sooner rather than later, hopefully. And uh you know, in terms of my content and things like that, I'm, I definitely have a lot of ideas in the pipeline. You know, I'm, I'm going to start doing videos as well for Channel Fireball, a video series um, and things like that. So there's going to be a lot more for me to come in the future. I have a lot of really cool ideas I want to try out. So um, we'll just see how it goes. So far, it's been received really well. Uh, and, you know, hopefully that continues. But um so far, it's been a great journey. I've really enjoyed it a lot, and to be able to leave my mark in the game this way, it's it's been uh, enjoyable, and um, you know, it's it's led me to be able to do stuff like this with you, which has been which is great. So, um, again, I appreciate you bringing me on, and it's a great way to start the day. And um, yeah, I, I can't thank you enough. It's I really enjoyed it. No, it's my pleasure. How do, how do I put it? Like, I just feel like I learned so much. I'm going to have to go back and listen <laughs> to it. I'm, I hopefully, uh, you know, some of the listeners can get a lot of, of value from from this as well. Uh, so, yeah, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Will Jonathan, upcoming author and uh, all-around master of mental magic. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for more content for uh, from from Will. And uh, it's uh, it's been a pleasure, a huge pleasure. And uh, uh, we'll Thank have you. to do this again Thank very you. soon. We'll have to do this again. Yes. Yes, I would love to anytime, man.